0: Hey, this is John Acuff, and you're listening to The Slapcast, and I can't wait to see what you do with the ideas you hear on this one.
1: Well, hello. Welcome to the Slapcast. This is Shannon Lee, your host extraordinaire and executive director of Relay. This is episode six, folks. I cannot tell you how pumped I am. Now, the last time we talked, we had a well-known local, Greg Overmeyer, on the Slapcast. He talked about leading through change. He is chairing our upcoming event, Leadership Forum, which is the theme of the event, again, leading through change. Now, by the way, if you want information on that event, go to RelayLeadership.com slash Two zero one nine. That's Relay Leadership, R-E-L A Leadership.com slash L F is in Frank 2019. If you want to connect with us, we're on all the socials at relay leadership. And I just ask that you subscribe and share this podcast. We are trying to make leadership, servant leadership a movement in Columbus and beyond. And this is just one little way that you can help us out. Now, if you ever want to reach out to me directly, you can feel free to do that at Slapcast at relayleadership.org. That's our email, and I will get back to promptly. So back to why I'm excited. This week, I got to talk to the keynote of Leadership Forum, John Acuff. John is an author and speaker. He helped huge brands figure out their story. We're talking about brands like The Home Depot, Bose, Staples, Nissan, Microsoft. So you know what, guys, he is no slouch, that's for sure. His books are so incredibly powerful because of how practical they are. His most recent is called Finish. Give yourself the gift of done. Now I've heard him talk about this on other podcasts, about that book in particular. We're gonna talk about that book with him today, too. But I also want to talk to him about leadership form he's going to be conducting a talk for us called do over it's all about the stuff organizations need to do to bring about change and I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say let's rock all right well welcome everyone and welcome John Acuff I am so excited that you're on today's show
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I think we're
1: going to have a fun conversation. Awesome. So, just a backdrop here for you, John, and a reminder for the audience we have an annual event coming up here in Columbus. It's called Leadership Forum, it's on May 16th. Our theme this year is leading through change. And, John, your work was a huge influence on the theme this year. As I told you last week when we spoke on the phone, as a leadership development organization, We focus on servant leadership and we try to, you know, infuse these servant leadership attributes into everything that we do. So instead of having an event and teaching people about servant leadership, we try to embody it by pulling themes into the event as well as speakers who embody those themes that are supportive of a servant leadership attribute. And so the attribute we are toying with this year is called pioneering. And pioneering has to do with taking risks, leading, uh, through change management. And so that's what led us to this leading through change theme. But the other data point around leading through change was your talk called do over. And I do want to circle back to that. But first I would love just a little bit of background on you and for our audience. So you're an accomplished speaker an accomplished author. How did you get there? Take us back a little bit.
0: Sure. Well, I spent 15 years in marketing So I had the the good fortune of um, being in the marketing departments of companies like Bose and the Home Depot and Staples. And so I grew up around big brands, big goals, big teams, um, but also did some small advertising agencies and so really had this background in marketing. And really loved the idea that an idea can help change somebody's life. I love to write things that are actionable, where they inspire you, but ultimately you can take them home, take them back to the office, take them back to your community and actually put them to use. And so I did that for about 15 years. And along the way, I wrote a blog um, that went viral. And so I started to get some publishing opportunities. Um, Public speaking started to come from there and I had the the great opportunity to work with a guy named Dave Ramsey, who a lot of listeners will know. Um, I spent three years on his team, really learning the ropes of how you grow um, a network, how you serve a large audience, and six years ago, decided to start my own company. So that's kind of a 20 years of John Acuff, but it happened happened all through the idea of sharing ideas and what, what an idea can do when you put it into action.
1: That's amazing. Now, you said something that really piqued my interest, which was grow a network and serve a large audience. Were there some hard lessons in that for you? And could you share one or 2 Were
0: slash still are. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think,
0: I think a big part of it is, here's just an example. Um, how do you grow something when you've got four people, three people, two people, culture is pretty easy. You got three people. We all know that the culture is us. It's me and Bill and Janet when you expand your team, the culture gets kind of stretched. Like imagine a slinky. A slinky is really tightly wound, the coils are close together. You stretch it over 15 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, it's a completely different thing. So how do you stretch a culture? I would say is one of the, one of the challenging lessons. Um, how do you stay true to the message without diluting it to get to a bigger audience? Like how do you find more of the right people so that you hold on to your values but you still grow versus going, okay, we need to dilute it to get to more people. So I think that anytime you grow something, anytime you say, okay, we're gonna take what was small and personal and expand it to a new audience, you have to be really smart about how do you maintain the culture of it? How do you maintain the growth? And so, yeah, that would be, for me, that was a big lesson.
1: Is there a particular book that you wrote where you get to talk about that? Is there one in particular that has a heavier influence?
0: yeah, I, I mean, for me, I'd say the the one that I keep coming back to is my most recent finish, um, because it I would call it goal agnostic in the sense that <laughs> you get to apply it to the goal you want. I'm sitting in my home office in Nashville, Tennessee. My favorite shelf on my bookshelf is a bookshelf full of books people have written after they read my book finish. So people will write their book and say, and write me the kindest notes and say, I've tried to do this for five years. I couldn't get it over the finish line. I read your book, finish. Here's a copy. But then I'm also, I've got right, you know, right on my desk, I've got uh, an invitation to somebody's graduation. They went back um, and finished their degree at the University of Missouri um, and sent me their their announcement to, for their, you know, and they were in the honor society Or people send me, here's my decluttered, you know, um, attic, And so when somebody says to me, we've got a difficult growth problem or we've got a new opportunity with our company, we're going through change. I say, OK, well, check out finish because it's goal agnostic. You can apply the ideas to anything you want to build and finish. And then if it's more of a um, like we're going through a specific type of change, I'll say, well, check out do over because there's a lot there about understanding, oh, there's four types of change that we have to deal with and wrestle with. Okay, which one are we in right now? Which which one's about to come? And so those are the two books that are kind of the one-two punch.
1: Okay, so I'm so glad you brought up Finish because um, I heard you talk specifically about finish on recently. Well, I don't know how recent it was um, because I don't always look at the dates on my podcasts, but it was on Jen Hatmaker's podcast. And I particularly loved what you had to say about perfection and change, the negative aspect of change that comes from a place of shame. The reason why that resonated with me so much it's because in my one of my first leadership experiences, I was twenty-eight years old, completely unprepared. And I found out later that there was a perception of me that I didn't finish things. I wasn't a finisher. I started all kinds of things and I didn't finish. And I had a ton of shame associated with that. And I kind of started to believe that I just couldn't finish projects, you know. And the reality was I was finishing things. It's just there were a few things that they were kind of big and that I didn't really know how to tackle the bigger projects, especially that age. I just feel like 28 years old. I just didn't have what it it took to lead. I got a a staff of 30 people and and it it was a lot. I I was an elementary school principal. And so I had a staff of 30 people. I had 400 kids plus all of their parents, plus a preschool, plus a daycare. It was pain. And um, there were big things I wanted to accomplish, but What I loved about what you said was nothing good is going to be like, I'm not going to be able to change anything if it's coming from a place of shame. And so I would love if you would talk about that a little bit. How can people like me, I'm much better at finishing now, but how can people like me, like the old Shannon, stop viewing those types of things through a pace of shame so that they can get to that point where they're taking that next right step, right? So that they can finish that big project or the book or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, I think one thing is expected. Like, I think one of the hardest things is we're surprised by shame and it catches us off guard. So I think there's a great value to going, oh yeah, that's right. Like anytime I have, you know, I find out I'm behind on something or the industry's moved and we haven't, there's going to be some shame that pops right up. So number one, like people fe- have feelings about feelings. So what happens is they often go, Oh, I feel ashamed. I shouldn't feel ashamed. I'm mad that I feel ashamed, which makes me more ashamed. Like, and it becomes this vicious kind of circle that just like feeds on itself. So one, it's okay if you feel ashamed. That's appropriate. That's, that's fine. But it's not where you want to stay and it's not where you want to build. It's, shame is a terrible fuel. Shame you know, will not drive you to get better. Shame will make you go binge watch Netflix. Like it's the craziest thing where you'll say, oh, we're so behind on this project. I know we are. So I'll take a nap or, oh, we're so behind on this project. I know we are. So I'll do 10 other things that have nothing to do with the project because I feel ashamed of how far behind we are. Or shame will shame will get you to focus on parts of the project you don't control. So shame will tell you go, you know, things would be better if a year ago you did the right thing and you have no control over that. That year is gone. Um, And it'll distract you from the year you have. So I think a big part of it is expect it, um, admit you feel it, um, deal with it. And dealing with it is often very personal. Maybe it's you talk to a colleague. Maybe you talk to a friend. Maybe it's you write down three sentences that are the truth. And you don't try to change from shame. You don't try to use that as a fuel because it's a really toxic fuel and it doesn't serve you in the long run.
1: Yeah, I can, again, I can so identify with that. I think that for me, it it crippled me. I didn't, again, I had feelings about my feelings. I I didn't know what to do with it. And it was truly, truly damaging. I think all of us can identify with this idea. I wish I knew then what I know now. Um, I might've decreased my pain, but you learn from it. Um, Thinking about the leader who is really gifted at being a visionary, a strategist, do you buy into this idea that the visionary isn't necessarily the implementer, right? That there's there's a kind of these two roles where you need the person setting the vision, saying this is the mission, this is where we're headed, and then someone else who is actually filling the, in the gaps and kind of interpreting that to everybody else and really being the implementer. Could that be a potential solution for someone who is not a finisher but is great at the big idea?
0: I, I really think it depends on the situation. I mean, if you're in a small company... You might not have the luxury to say, well, I'm a visionary. You know, like I I like to cast big visions and then somebody else does it. There might not be a somebody else. Um, I do think that. That's me. There are people, people (laughs) wired for different situations where, you know, I've seen companies that are huge companies and they'll have a CEO whose job is to protect the organization from the visionary because the visionary is amazing at coming up with ideas and disruption and all these things. And the CEO serves as the buffer between the wild visionary and the actual execution of all the ideas in a big company. I don't, I think often um, the person who's great at running a 50 person company isn't great at running a 5,000 person company. So I do think there's strengths and weaknesses and personalities that come into play. Um, I, you know, I, but I do also want to acknowledge that there's some situations where, you don't have the luxury of just being the visionary. Um, you might have to, you know, do some implementation and it might be painful and it might not be fun, but there's, a, you know, in every job, there's things you have to do that you go, this didn't feel like a walk in the park today. This wasn't a joy, but it had to get done. I think one of the worst questions you can ask when you have to do something that isn't maybe in your natural gift set that is, how do I feel about doing this? Like, it doesn't matter. The question is, do I need to do this? And if the answer is yes, then the the feelings are going to get in the way. Um, So I think it's a good goal to work toward. Someday it would be amazing if I didn't have to do all these things that, you know, that don't fit my skill set. But initially, I might need to. For instance, for me, small company. I'm not great at being detailed. Um, for the first couple of years, I had to do all the details, though, and now I've got a part-time assistant who handles a lot of details. That's a real joy, and it's a real help to me, um, but it took time for me to get there.
1: Now, you say that one way to get rid of or to greatly reduce perfectionism is experimentation. And what are some, I'd love to hear about one or two of your experiments that went well, that helped you with that and maybe maybe one or two that didn't go so well because as you know with experimentation at least in my experience it's about six parts failure out of ten um and sometimes even more so share with us a little bit of your experience around experimentation and how that helped reduce perfectionism for you
0: sure um my podcast i did eight or nine episodes of a podcast podcast to see if it was something i wanted to do and i enjoyed some of it but it ultimately was a big distraction from the things i really need to do which is write a book and deliver amazing talks and super serve audiences and so it's on hiatus right now and i feel you know people ask me like when's it coming back and i really don't have an answer but i know i tried the experiment I did, you know, I did a season of it and realized, okay, it's not the thing I'm supposed to do right now. That's not to say it won't be someday because I think there's things that, that come back into your life. That's one. Um, on a personal level, I read how I've read probably a thousand different things that say gratitude is magic. It's the most magical thing ever. If you want to <laughs> have your whole life better tomorrow, be grateful. So I started keeping a gratitude journal and because I can be a bit of a workaholic. I figured, wow, if writing five things down is good, writing 15 things down a day, 25 things down a day, I wrote 2,300 things in a period of three months, and it was, I squeezed all the joy right out of that. (laughs) I I wasn't grateful. I was like, if anything, I was compulsive. And so that experiment for me was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to have a limit. Like five things a day is plenty, and it does help my heart, and it does help my progress. But I'm, I'll turn this into a workaholic activity if I'm not careful. I'm in the middle right now of drinking a gallon of water a day. I'm only on day three. Like talk to me in, in three weeks and I might go, yeah, I didn't really notice a difference other than like I felt like I had a lot of water in me. Um, so that's another exp- another experiment on a personal level, family level. I bought my kids the Harry Potter Lego castle, massive castle. And I did that in part as an experiment of how do I connect with my teenage daughters? It's hard as a dad of teenage daughters to find connection points because they've got their own life. They're all over the place. And so we experimented and said, okay, I'm going to do a bag of Legos with one of them over a period of time. We didn't do that. We're going to build it all on Christmas Day. And it probably took us two months and it was really sweet time because there's 37 bags and I'd get to hang out with my 13-year-old and we'd talk about how was the day, what you know what what went on and then after it was done I said okay I'm going to take it apart I'm going to reverse you know essentially reverse build it and rebag the whole thing as a kind of this is this is kind of a meditative practice it's mindless I get to kind of think through my day and so I did that and actually was able to accomplish that and so I'm always kind of in the lab going let's see if this works Let's see if this is going to blow up in my face on both personal level, um, physical level, career. I'm a big experimenter.
1: I love what you said about gratitudes in particular. So every night, and I just do it as I'm falling asleep, I kind of do a a scan of my day. And I think I think of I just do three, three and three. So I do. okay. what are three things that went well? Three things I'm grateful for and three things that I wish had gone better. And the reason why I like to think about what I wish I would have gone better, not so I can get stuck in regret or anything, but just to make myself more aware so that the next day if I encounter a similar situation... I feel like, and it seems to be true so far that I'm more aware of maybe, maybe I showed up in a certain situation that I wasn't exactly proud of. And so if a similar situation or something creates the same kind of feeling in me the next day or the day after that, I remember it more. It's more visceral now because I kind of took a little, I don't know, sort of like an inventory um, of my day, but I like two thirds of it to be super positive so that because of my perfectionism, all this 15 things that didn't go well that day and beat myself up with the practice of doing it. And like you said, totally suck the joy out of it. So, um, so you do
0: three things that went well, th- three things you're grateful for and three things that could have done better, could
1: have done better. Yeah. And that's it. I, I stop after that. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Do you
0: write them down or you just review them in your head?
1: I review them in my head, but I started writing them down. That's where everything started for me. And what I find is I fall asleep really peacefully. It's 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 almost it's not meditation technically, but it has a meditative effect because it kind of gives my brain a chance to just, like I said, download the day. And I've already decided this is the start and stop of this practice. And then I'm done. I can just turn it off after that. And for me, um, I know we just met over the phone a week ago, but for me, um, that is a miracle just turning off my brain at night because I just being the only one on staff, I'm running everything and, sure. uh, and it's, it's been really hard to turn it off and that has helped me tremendously. So I love how that. Long practice. Have you, how
0: long have you done it?
1: What, the practice I just mentioned? Yeah. I would say about six months.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's that's really, yeah, and there's a lot of science behind that. That's really neat.
1: Well, and I'm not trying to sound too flowery, but I enter into the next day seeing more beauty, and what's funny is... Some days are obviously better than others. And on the bad days, it forces my brain to look at the things that did go well and that I was grateful for, even though the day as a whole felt pretty crappy. And um, there's always three things of each. There's always. If, but some days it's just harder to find them. <laughs> I have to force myself yeah, yeah. to look. Yeah, yeah. Some
0: days it takes a little more effort. I, I get yeah. that. No, I love that. That's that's great.
1: Now, I told you last week, I followed you on social media Initially, because when we pick speakers that we that we don't know, a lot of our speakers are local and we know them. Uh, but when we bring in someone that's national, international, like you are, I want to know a little bit more about them. I want to figure out like, do their values line up? How do they show up in the community and their work and their family? Um, more than anything, just to try to get to know someone without knowing them. And so I I linked up with all your social channels, and I noticed that you have many facets. You you post. I don't want to say equally because I don't know that I can really know that for sure. But you talk about family, uh, some social commentary, comedy, a little bit of your work. And actually, I would even... I would even argue that you don't even post, I would say like 25% of what you post has to do with your work and everything else is just more about you and your family and the things that you just love. And so um, I love the variety. What is your favorite thing, whether it be Twitter or Instagram, which is where I mainly see you, um, what's your favorite thing to talk about and and to post on social networks?
0: Well, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of staying consistent on, on serving people with ideas. I, I don't know if I told you this in the first time we talked. I had a woman after I spoke say, I love following you online. I didn't even know you wrote a book. And I've written <laughs> six books. So that to me was, whoa, I need to do a more deliberate job of letting people know, hey, I have these things that I work on. I think they're helpful. Here's what they look like. So I try to be deliberate about that. And that's an ongoing process. I actually hired my 15-year-old to help me um, with Instagram because I asked her, what do you think? She said, you use Instagram like an old man. (laughs) And I thought, and I took that. A teenager will tell you the truth. Painfully. Um, Yeah, regardless of whether you want it or not. And so I like to do that, um, but I do like to have fun. I personally love to laugh. Um, I, I like to kind of describe what I do in that I think if I can get you to laugh, I can get you to listen, which means I can get mm-hmm. you to learn. And that's my communication style, and it's, it's who I am. And I want when I show up at an event like yours or I'm, I'm speaking tomorrow at an event, I'm, I'm going, you know, I'll speak at another event next week. I want it to be one consistent experience. I want somebody to go, wow, I listened to your audio book and it had the same passion and humor and heart and counterintuitive thinking as your Instagram platform did um, as your speech did. I want I want people to have one person. And so it does, you know, if we're at, if if I get to, you know, yesterday, I, or no, uh, Tuesday, I posted a photo of an entrepreneur in Nashville that has an amazing um, pizza restaurant called Slim and Huskies. And it's these three young African-American men that are kind of flipping pizza on its head and they're expanding and it's so, it's just the coolest concept and they're being so smart about it and I love to say like, hey, they're opening one in Atlanta. Go support them. Go like, this is amazing. It's a really great product and and they're really helping the community. So I like to serve the community. But at the same time, if I see a sticker on the back of somebody's car that says, warning, venomous snakes on board, I might write a joke about what am I supposed <laughs> to do with that? Like exactly, yeah. how, like what, like how is that one? How is that possible? Like, are they in a bag? Are they in a cool, like, where are you going that you're traveling with venomous snakes? Um, and then I you know, it made me think like, where do you even buy that sticker? Um, and I know where you buy it at the the exotic pet uh, Animal Expo. I've gone to that many a time because it is the best two dollars with people watching you will ever pay. Um, and so I do like to, yeah, I try to balance it. I, I don't, you know, I know there's some people that for them, the the balance is, you're going to get 92 posts with the cover of my book. And then one that shows like my family or vice versa. But for me, I like to have a mix because I think life is a mix. And so when I show up in an event and if you want some inspiration, awesome, follow my account. If you want to be able to laugh at at some ridiculous things every now and then follow my account, um, that you get to kind of know me as a person, not just an idea.
1: Yeah. It comes across as genuine that you're not just compartmentalizing, you know, john acuff the speaker the author now comedian um i know you've done some things with the comedy central
0: i I have fun with it i want it to be a reflection of like of this is fun and i i hope it's it's encouraging to you you know as a as a viewer or as a participant
1: Well, mission accomplished for sure. It's enjoyable. Oh, thanks. I get excited when I see you in that feed because I know it's going to be something I enjoy. And it's equally as impactful to hear you talk about a place that you got some awesome queso as it is some other leadership commentary that you've made. So I enjoy all of it. Oh, good. Um, Now, I want to switch gears. I do want to talk about do-over, specifically do-over investing in the four things that every great business needs to navigate change. This is what you're coming to Columbus to talk about at Leadership Forum uh, later this month, um, we'll edit this part out, John, this won't go out till May. I know it's April. So yeah. Um, So this event historically has three to four speakers. We've never actually used a national keynote for this event, so this is a first. So, congratulations! Oh, awesome! And Thanks. no, no pressure. Um, but we've asked you to come no, talk. No, don't.
0: I mean, I feel pressure for the next year for the other, the other speakers. <laughs> That's, I'm just going to go ahead and set a high bar. <laughs> That's all, right. All the future speakers, it's about to be difficult.
1: I love the way you think. I love it. Um, now, I don't want to give away you know, the the four points in a poem here. Um, But with the theme of leading through chains, we're going to kick off the day with these local speakers. We're going to talk about everything from, you know, leading personally through change to professionally to organizational change. So I don't want to ask you what those four things are in particular, um, unless you want to breeze over them. But I would love it if you could give us a little bit of a foretaste or a teaser to let us know what we're in for on May 16th.
0: Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what I believe the four types of change you go through are. Um, if you're if you're listening, if you have a piece of paper, um, it's really easy to to draw it out. It's just if you draw a vertical line, at the very top of that line is the word voluntary. At the very bottom is the word involuntary, and those are the two types of change every organization goes through. So you have voluntary change, change you enact, change you cause. And then you have involuntary change, change that happens to you, change your industry goes through that you don't have any control over, now, the challenge with those is that not every voluntary is good and not every involuntary is bad. We've all voluntarily made mistakes and we've all involuntarily had surprises or benefits. So you have to add another line to that. And you, you take that vertical line and you bisect it with a horizontal line. Imagine a plus symbol. Okay. And that line goes on the left from negative to positive. So now you've got these four different kind of quadrants. And that's what I like to talk through as you go, okay, what would you call a voluntary negative change? I call that a ceiling where you're willingly, voluntarily going toward a stuck moment. You're repeating the same things you've always done. You're protecting the past. You're not innovating. You're stuck. You've hit a ceiling. Um, That lower left-hand corner, if you think about a clock from like 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. to 9 um, is a negative. Remember, far left is negative. Bottom is involuntary. A negative involuntary moment is what I call a bump moment. An unexpected, out-of-your-control negative thing that happens. It can be small. It could be that you've got a 20-person team and somebody moves to another city and leaves your company, and all of a sudden you go through a bump moment and realize, wow, one person can change the whole culture of a company. And we went through a bump moment. It can be big. I spoke at a a big hotel chain about you know how do you deal with Airbnb. That's not just an example for them, that's a reality. Whoa, what a bump. On the positive side of things, the upper right-hand corner from 12 to three, if you will, if we're thinking about the clock, a voluntary positive moment is what I call a jump. It's a jump moment where you decide as a company, maybe as an individual, I'm gonna change something voluntarily for the positive. It could be I'm gonna reach out to a mentor, it could be I'm gonna go back to school, it could be something big, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move to you know Columbus. I wanna be part of you know the growing business community there, and here's what we're going to do. It's a jump moment. And the last one, if you think about three to six, that bottom right-hand corner um, is what's known as an involuntary positive moment or what I just call an opportunity, where something positive catches you off guard. There's, you know, an opportunity you weren't expecting. Maybe it's an old colleague. I mean, that's part of the beauty of social media is that you're connected to people you've worked with forever. And so there's definitely a lot of people that will go, yeah, I saw you on LinkedIn. I saw you on Facebook. We've got this opening. I know we haven't worked together in seven years. I think you'd be perfect for it. You didn't force that situation, but it's definitely positive, and it's involuntary, and it's an opportunity. So those are the four types of change and then what I get to talk about in the, um, in the keynote is, okay, in each of those different types of change, what's the key thing you need to navigate them? Because it would be really easy if I could say, hey, let's just not do that left-hand side. Let's not do from six to 12, which is the bump moments or the ceiling moments, but that's not how life works. It's certainly not how business works. So we're going to go through all four of those moments. What are the things we need to navigate those?
1: That sounds awesome. I can't wait. I'm super Thank excited. You. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Well, we are bumping up against our time limit here. Um, listen, everyone, there is still time to get your ticket for Leadership Forum. It's taking place next week on May 16th right here in Central Ohio for dynamic speakers, not the least of which is John A. Cuff. You can learn more at the event and get your tickets at RelayLeadership.com slash lf 2019 That's R-E-L-A-Leadership.com slash lf 2019. John, thank you so much for joining us on The Slap. Cassidy, I really appreciate your time and look forward to seeing you next week here in Columbus.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Shannon. I think we're going to have a blast and I can't wait to meet all the other business leaders that are listening, but also that made the investment to come to the event.